0: This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle, streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710Sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. By the
1: foot on the show. The show, the show.
0: With six hours and counting to the baseball trade deadline, it's going to be your center for all the latest news updates. The Mariners trading for reliever Diego Castillo yesterday from the Tampa Bay Rays. We'll get into that here in just a couple minutes in front page news. Initial reaction is, "Hey, it's a good sort of more uh, long term addition to the bullpen compared to Kendall Graveman, but he's not as good a pitcher as Kendall Graveman. I don't think this makes up for his loss."
1: I don't necessarily think it does either. There are some definitely things to be, I think, excited about with them. But at the same time, is this the final move? I hope not. And over these next six hours, if the Mariners, I think, want to have a more serious chance of doing anything the rest of the year, there's something else that has to happen.
0: So we will be following that. Uh, latest deals that we've seen, Max Scherzer and Trey Turner – are going to be heading if it's not finalized yet it's going to be soon they're headed from the Washington Ugh. Nationals to the LA Dodgers. Gross. Uh you also have Rizzo Anthony Rizzo going uh from the Cubs to the New York Yankees. So, we'll keep you up Shorter to date with to the Red
1: Sox. The Rich yeah, get richer, Danny. The Rich get richer. It's the worst.
0: And those are all rental players though essentially. True. We're we're seeing we're seeing guys that are that are moving in anticipation teams that aren't aren't going to have a chance at it like the Cubs selling off the guys that aren't going to make a difference to teams that are trying to add for that playoff push. The Mariners not in the rental market, but certainly in the conversation for adding starting pitching. So we'll keep you updated on that. Somehow, Paul, Seattle Seahawks training camp has started and Russell Wilson has been a second or third tier story, which is bizarre because we would have thought in February when all the noise was happening in March, everyone was going to be watching him like they're watching Aaron Rodgers. And instead, it's very it's very quiet. Russell Russell's almost mm. an afterthought in all of the it's Jamal Adams and it's Dwayne Brown and it's Quandre Diggs. Russell Wilson is the most important player to this team and he's coming off the most contentious offseason of his career, at least in terms of his relationship with the team. He had his most touchdown passes. He had his highest completion percentage last year, yet I think his national reputation kind of took a little bit of a hit. He should be front and center here.
1: I agree with you. Why do you think he isn't front and center? Because I'm struggling to think of a reason other than he struggled down the stretch. But isn't that more of a reason to talk about him at the beginning of the season?
0: The reason he's not more talked about is because everybody looks at it and it's like, hey, that, that issue's been resolved, right? Or at least they've said it's resolved. Both sides have said, hey, it's no big deal. We're better for it. It's We're moving fine. on. There's nothing here. There's nothing here.
1: Nothing to see here.
0: There is something here when it comes to... Russell Wilson in his play. Do you feel better about him than you felt about him going into last season? I do not. I
1: don't feel quite that. I think I bought into some of his own,
0: uh, to his credit, self-created hype. But he had the best season in his career by several different measures. He had his highest completion percentage. Mm -hmm. He had his most touchdown passes. For eight games, he was the best quarterback in the entire league. And I know that it's the first eight games and not the last eight games, and the last eight games is what's most important. But by one measure, if you flip-flop his halves of seasons, we're talking about him as... Is he better than or as good? Is he tied with Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes? Is he ahead? Is he just behind? Where is he? And instead, he's kind of like, I think people are like, he's a top five quarterback, but I don't think he's regarded as well right now as he was 12 months ago, and that's weird.
1: I don't think it's completely strange, fair or unfair. People remember the last thing that you did, and... It wasn't just that Russell struggled for much of the second half of the year and looked so bad against the Rams. I thought he looked a little older for the first time. I thought he looked a little slower as far as his mobility goes, and he had options that were open to him that he just, for whatever reason, couldn't see. You can blame a lot on the offense. You can blame some on the offensive line, and Russ deserves blame too. It's not just one person at fault, but with the way that it ended, I I think I understand why that's the sentiment
0: Going into this august, i don't buy that he became worse i don't I don't buy that he became worse or he became older in the don't final you eight think games.
1: he's a little slower don't you feel like it's more difficult I thought he's for slower for avoid? five years okay I
0: thought he's slow he's been slower for five years. He was not in my to my eyes he was not slower the last eight games of last season than he had been previously in his career. The Giants game was weird because he
1: couldn't escape, and I thought that that was always something he could do. Create a little extra time for himself with those deft little pirouettes that he's able to do behind the line of scrimmage.
0: Two teams have consistently been able to do that to him, going back to when we would identify him even as young and spry. The Rams, first in St. Louis and then in Los Angeles, and the Arizona Cardinals have at times been able to do that, specifically when they had Calais Campbell. I think the key to making Russell look like that is not that he's older, it's giving a controlled pass rush that kind of slowly collapses the pocket around him rather than having someone that comes darting in and either collapses the pocket from the inside and flushes him out or gets around the edge. I I, I, I agree with you. I think he looked bad in that, in that Giants game. I think that had more to do with the way the rush came at him than Russell's age, though.
1: It could be, but there were times where he was on the edge and it felt like he was able to break said contain from that... St- delayed pass rush the way that you're describing it, which I, I, I understand what you're saying. It's they, they were more disciplined, New York was. I, I, for whatever reason, it just seemed different, at least optics-wise in that game.
0: Here's an exercise, and it can be for everybody. You can text in 710-710, the Mac and Jack's text line. Where would you rank Russell Wilson right now among the league's quarterbacks? One through 40, right? Because you've got some guys that are starters but have a, a viable backup. If you've got 40 quarterbacks, where do you rank him? And is that higher or lower than 12 months ago?
1: I have him in the same spot, I think. Maybe, well, check that. I have him lower. I had him at two. I had him behind Mahomes. I thought that there was potential for him to, for a year, maybe, maybe, just maybe overtake him, but I didn't think it was likely. So I have him at three right now, and I still have him ahead of Tom Brady. Tom Brady's been vaulted up by a lot of people into that top three conversation, and I feel like between Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes and, and and Wilson, no matter how awesome Brady is at age 44, and I, you know how much I like this guy, the limitations are a lot more visible with Brady than they are with those other three.
0: So you have Mahomes or Rodgers one?
1: I'm going to put Mahomes at one because Rodgers okay. did this for one season, but there were a couple of years before that where he did not look like the number one quarterback in the league.
0: Rodgers is two. Russ is three. Is Brady four? Then for you?
1: Yes, because I don't know that Deshaun Watson is going to play this coming season.
0: And then and then Deshaun Watson is five. Yes, I, I think I think Russ is still a consensus top five quarterback. I, I think most people do. Mike Sando of the Athletic and has been a longtime journalist in this area uh, with ESPN.com dot com, and then before that with the Tacoma News Tribune. He puts together his annual quarterback tiers piece. It's one of my favorite pieces to read. First, I love the way that Mike does it. He has four tiers of quarterbacks. Well, five if you count the dudes that go off the table and that you don't matter anymore. <laughs> but his tiers are tier one. This is what we would typically call a franchise quarterback. And it, it it's a guy that your team, he consistently explains why the team wins. The team can count on him each and every week to make a difference to be able to win games and he has no noticeable holes in his games. There's no but to him. There's no he's pretty good, but you need a strong running game. He's pretty good, but you can't allow a pass. He he, he this is this is that's that's your quintessential franchise quarterback. Russell for the third straight year is in that group. What was surprising, and Mike puts this together by asking 50 people, and it's coaches, it's executives, it's people that work for NFL teams to plan against these guys, to evaluate these guys. Last year, he was a consensus tier one. Last year, Russell Wilson was consensus tier one. This year, there were 10 people that voted him tier two. There are five tier one quarterbacks in the NFL this year in Mike's study. It is Mahomes and Rodgers, who are tied for first. It's Brady, who's three. It's Russ, who's four. And then it's Deshaun Watson. The top tier two quarterback, which is, hey, they're a difference maker. They just don't always do it. They're a guy that you're he's the reason his team wins. He's got some clunkers in there too, and there's some times that he can't do it. He can't do it each and every single week. There are there's a hole or two in his game. Josh Allen is number six, and Josh Allen is closer to being in tier one than he is the next guy in tier two, which is which is Matthew Stafford. I think it's an interesting rating. I was surprised that Russ is four. Would you have I was him sur- higher? Yeah, I, I I think I do. I think I have Same. him. I I think I have him closer to Rodgers than I do to Brady. I'm not surprised that Brady vaults up to three because I think everybody looks at it like, hey, we've always wondered, is it Brady? Is it Belichick? And now we found out. Brady goes to the to the Bucks and wins, even though he didn't have his best season or even his best playoff.
1: It run. feels like a case though of one recency bias, but I think two more so. It's oh, we can't doubt Brady yet. You know. I think people are scared to write him off, and I don't blame them because they've been doing it for a while.
0: If you gave me a choice, though, heads up, between he and Deshaun Watson, and now you have to take all of the -the off-the-field stuff away from Mm. Watson, and this is a football-only decision. I think last year was the first time that I would seriously consider saying yes to Deshaun Watson. Same. He had a great season. And he's younger. He's younger. And he's younger. So it's interesting. You can text in where where does Russell fit? And has he has he taken a hit in your eyes over the last 12 months? We've got a lot to get to. The second day of training camp is in the books for the Seahawks. We'll have Michael Bumpus at eight o'clock, but right now we buckle in right next to the Professor John Clayton for our morning drive. This this is the front page. Today's top two stories and why they matter. Every morning at 710.
1: Get what you need to know to start your day. Right now. Well, what do you think? Diego Castillo has been added to the Seattle Mariners' bullpen. For those who don't know, this is a guy who pitched for the Tampa Bay Rays, and honestly, he's pitched pretty well for the Tampa Bay Rays over the last couple of years. Jerry Depoto even said since 2018 he's been one of the better relievers in baseball. He's younger than Kendall Graveman, 27 years old. He's under club control for three more years. Impressive numbers of late. Impressive numbers in the
0: postseason. Is he better than Kendall Graveman, Danny? No, not having a better season. He's a better fit long term for your team because you got a couple more years where he's on the roster and you're not going to have to make a decision. But he's not a better pitcher than he's not a better pitcher than Kendall Graveman this year.
1: Graveman's had a better season,
0: but I think you could take a look at some of the advanced numbers
1: with Graveman, and you'll see that yeah, it's going well so far. Let's see if this continues for Kendall Graveman. Let's see if it continues for him because he has a lot of pressure on him now in Houston given how bad we saw that bullpen to be Danny over the last couple of games.
0: Wrote something on 710sports.com yesterday. There are two objections I've heard to the Kendall Graveman trade. One of which we'll be able to answer very clearly. The other one I think is misguided. Objection one. You didn't get enough for Graveman. Like the baseball return. The baseball value wasn't there. And as all trades, this is a bit of a hunch or a projection. We're going to know the answer to that, right? Is Abraham Toro better than people are expecting? And does Kendall Graveman kind of go off a cliff? Because there, it looks like a little bit of this trade is the Mariners think he's going to turn into a pumpkin. And even if he doesn't turn into the pumpkin at midnight, he's then going to be exceptionally expensive. So they're like, okay, we're you'll be able to watch it. If he's dominant and lights out and he's a reason that the Astros win the World Series and Toro continues to be a 200-hitting, not-quite-capable big-league big, big league infielder, we'll know the answer to that. The other one is Graveman was so essential to the way that this team and this makeup and they're the heart of this clubhouse that you can't disrupt that. If you feel that way... You're happy with the Mariners being mediocre and you're hoping for them to just squeak, squeak into the playoffs. Mm. And this, it, this entire rebuild is based on the idea of it's not about squeaking into the playoffs. It's not, about, it's not about just getting there and ending this postseason drought and having something that we can feel is good about. It's about having a great team. It's about having a great team. So if you feel that they should not have traded Kendall Graveman, what you want as a team is something that you can feel warm and fuzzy about, and you don't really want them to win championships. You
1: won't feel warm and fuzzy very long if you make the playoffs and you're out after the play-in game. So, yeah. One thing I was concerned about with Castillo, Danny, and this is something that drives me crazy with athletes,
0: his shape has been called into question. Oh, no. You're one of those guys. Yeah, yeah.
1: Sources really? say that the Rays grew frustrated oh, with Castillo's conditioning and, Brock and off-season and work and habits. Oh. well, you have one job as an
0: athlete; it's to not no. Well, you're be, right. Not be you in that do have shape. one job. It's just to perform. No, the job is not to be in shape. The job is to perform. I, I I hate this about baseball. Be in shape. Look be at Casey Sabathia. He had a whole career where he was fat. John Cruck. It's not. It's not a body beautiful competition. Okay, but oh. what if it's getting
1: worse? What if it's getting worse? And that's what the Rays feel like might be happening.
0: That's we'll talk about this later.
1: Okay. Up next,
0: the front, front page. Oh no! I'll you guys. Just aren't gonna gonna rip me about saying the professor was next when it was front page news. I, I was just, just letting just let it let happen. I just yeah. let it happen. Did I you thought you were talking happen, about Paul? me.
1: Yeah, I, I did. I did, I let it slide. I'm not gonna call out my teammate, Danny. You should
0: rip on me. we ride oh, I,
1: I, we lost ride five, forward,
0: lost five minutes there. We we'll got to the professor in just a second. Hector Santiago apparently has resin in his pee, yeah, oh wait, no, that's not that's not what happened. No, it was a positive performance enhancing <laughs> drug. We can't blame this on a sticky a sticky glove or the rosin bag. <laughs> it's like, dude, I was just it's just rosin. <laughs>
1: You know, he's just trying to make baseball great again.
0: <laughs> it's just, look, I just used rosin. That's all it is in my <laughs> urine is steroid, rosin.
1: And steroid what, rubs. <laughs> my yeah. goodness.
0: I'm not going to bat Batfriend this time. Hector suspended. Hector Santiago suspended 80 games for testing positive for a performance-enhancing drug. And this isn't about whiny umpires or arbitrary enforcement. He peed hot. I miss steroids in baseball, Danny. It helps these guys keep in shape. It's Danny and Gallant. Now it's time for the Professor John Clayton with our Morning Drive. John Clayton's Morning Drive with
2: Danny and Gallant. It's a four-way battle, and there's only going to be three spots. Somebody has to go. The first and final word on everything Everything NFL NFL NFL. from the Professor John Clayton. Clayton. They scored 30 points a game. They're the best running team in football.
0: It's John Clayton's Morning Drive with Danny Danny and Gallant. Gallant.
1: Professor, I saw you had a piece for 710sports.com about what we've seen at Seahawks training camp. What's been your biggest observation the first couple of days out there?
2: Just the uh, the, the quickness of the offense, which I think is obviously one of the keys to this season. You know, the outside runs, the... Uh you know, quick passes, getting rid of the ball quicker. I think that's the better thing. I mean, I think you can see that Russell Wilson seems comfortable with it. The running backs seem comfortable with it. I'm sure the receivers seem comfortable. So I think that's the biggest thing because it looks like this offense looks like it's going to be a hit. It's one that uh, you know fits what the league is going to with more pe- more teams taking up the San Francisco, uh, Los Angeles Rams type
0: of offense. I think that's that's the biggest thing that I saw, John. Russell Wilson, his off season, we've talked ad nauseum about what happened there. From a football perspective, do you think his national reputation is higher, lower, or about the same as it was this time last year? When teams, when people rank him, and I'm kind of talking about Mike Mike Sando's quarterback tiers. How do you think he's perceived around the world?
2: Well, I mean, what I think uh, Sando had him at number four, which I think number four, yeah, yeah, which is uh, pretty much. Uh, right where it should be I mean you know, because again when you're looking at it Patrick Mahomes is going to be there Aaron Rodgers is going to be there I don't know if Sando had Tom Brady there but it's Number like three for Brady. yeah so yeah so it's like uh, I mean the only difference is Tom Brady you know left New England and went to Tampa Bay and won a Super Bowl so it's like uh, no I think the perception's still there but I think the perception of the team is so much different because of the Russell Wilson story and I think that's stupid I mean, because, again, what you can see is that, uh, you know, the team has added players, not subtracted players. Russell Wilson's still, you know, in the top four as far as quarterbacks in the league. But I think, you know, everybody says, oh, no, they're going to be the third best team in the division. And so much of it is because, you know, Russell Wilson, you know, was so upset with the team. And is he going to be there next year and all that stuff? I mean, ad nauseum. That stuff was just, uh, you know, pulling this team down, which I think is wrong. So from the Russell Wilson perspective, it's the same, but from the team perspective, it's so much different and so wrong.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Sando, and, and you're right, he's about the same spot he was last year. Russell's been tier one for the, mm-hmm. this is the third straight year. The one thing that was interesting last year he was unanimous. It was all 50 people in that, that that Sando consults said he was tier one. This year, there were 10, 10 of the 50. So, 20% had him at tier two and thought that there was maybe some warts that showed they thought he looked maybe a little bit older. And it's probably because the second half he didn't look as good. Could, could you notice a difference in the way he played the second half of the year? Yeah, I mean, it was not. I think that everybody
2: caught up to the scheme. And when everybody caught up to the scheme and started doing more cover two, you know, more things were covered, less guys were open. And uh, obviously the running back situation was affected by some of the injuries because, you know, and then for the second straight year, you had a little bit of a stretch where you had your top three running backs all hurt. And so that, I think, uh, you know, worked against them. And so it's like, uh, but, and then also the defenses they played in the second half of the season were better than they were in the first half of the season. It's, you know, kind of kind of like I know that uh, Ben Roethlisberger just got destroyed because I think on Sando's he list. He did. He, got he took sick- it in the shorts. Yeah, I mean, he won down to 16 after an eleven zero start last year. And so it's like, okay. But uh, yeah, I think things caught up to the Seahawks and people caught up to their offense and that cover two really affected them. That's why what you have to see now is that how uh, this offense is going to go against a cover two type of defense.
1: I don't think there's any debating Russell Wilson over Aaron Rodgers or Patrick Mahomes, but I do think there's a question, John, about whether or not Tom Brady belongs above him on this list. What do you say to that?
2: Ah, I mean, I think you have to honor him because, again, he's the greatest quarterback of all time. I mean, he left the Patriots, went to actually what would be a better group of offensive talent than he's had ever in his career because, you know, he had – Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and two good tight ends and good running backs and all those different things. And so he did go to a better offense, but I think you have to honor him for what he was able to do. I mean, he won the Super Bowl. And then what he also did is that what we didn't know before is that he played with a torn MCL, a completely torn MCL the entire season. That's true. And then, uh, you know, his numbers in the first half of the season weren't as good, but part of that was probably because of the knee, and then also part because he was still learning the offense.
0: John, let's go to uh, back to Ben Roethlisberger for just a second, because he took the biggest slide. He went from eighth overall in Sandoz quarterback rankings to 16th, and he and Justin Herbert were the only two guys that got a vote. In, in tier one, tier two, tier three, and tier four. So all the way from, hey, he's a franchise quarterback with no holes, all the way down to four. This is a veteran who is more uh, more likely to be, more better suited to be a backup, basically, than, than, than to be a starter. If I gave you the choice between Roethlisberger and Baker Mayfield right now, which quarterback would you take for 2021?
2: Roethlisberger. Yeah, and because again, it's like what ended up happening with him is that he was in a bad scheme last year. You know, they put him in a scheme where all they wanted him to do is throw shorter passes. He had absolutely and totally no running game, so that put more pressure on him. And again, he started 11 and 0. That's he not. Did that's not bad as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it's you, pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. And so, but the I think the scheme was terrible. And I mean, I think you noticed that uh, there was two times, I think it was an Indianapolis game and another game where uh, I think the last game of the season where, I mean, you know, where he was down big big and he had to really force things and come back and all of a sudden the arm strength started coming back and remember he was coming off his uh, injury from the previous season and so he probably wasn't a hundred percent now he's a hundred percent now he's lost weight now I think that he's going to be good he's got two good receivers he's now got uh Najee Harris at running back and so you throw all that together I think that uh, you know it really should work out
0: he is the professor, John Clayton. I got a little carried away this morning, John. I, uh, I, what's I that? thought you were. Good. I, I, it's seven ten. I was like, instead of front page news, I was like, here comes the professor because I was so excited. So yeah, I've, I have to learn. I'll have to learn a little discipline and restraint. We got John Clayton show tomorrow morning. Uh, eight
2: to eleven, taking your phone calls. No four o'clock hit today because there's only one hour on the show because of
0: Mariner baseball. Well, well, hopefully we'll be talking about a new Mariner there. We will be listening to you tomorrow morning. Thanks so much, John. Okay, thanks. He is the professor. As he said, don't be listening for him today at 4 o'clock because you're going to have Mariner baseball coming your way. Diego Castillo. Is he going to shape up? Does it matter? We got a lot to talk about with the new Mariners reliever. That's next. You're listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now,
2: here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant.
1: There's still time left before this afternoon's 1 o'clock baseball trade deadline. But as of right now, what the Mariners have done at the deadline is ship off Kendall Graveman to the Houston Astros, trade for Tyler Anderson, Mm -hmm. probably their fifth starter, trade for Abraham Toro, infielder of the future maybe with some potential. And last night, they traded JT Chargeois and prospect Austin Shenton, a Bellingham native. For
0: Rays closer, Diego Castillo. It's an interesting trade, right? A, I get Leary trading with Tampa Bay. Those guys know what they're doing. You feel this way about trades with the New England Patriots, and you feel this no, way about trades with the Rays. It's not trades with the Patriots. It's taking a veteran the Patriots no longer want. Ah. Like, it's a very specific, like, whereas, like, oh, if if they're doing that with him, I, I best steer clear, I feel the same way about Green Bay Packers offensive linemen. Okay. That, okay, that that team decides that they're not going to pay that dude. That means that there's, there's an expiration date on him. You're um,
1: concerned about trades with the Rays then, which is noteworthy because Jerry Depoto has made 13 trades with the Rays them.
0: over his career. And some of them have turned out okay. Some of them have turned out poorly through no fault of Jerry's. Like Malik Smith not hitting for the Mariners or not becoming. Like, I still think that that was a reasonable trade. Malik's fit what they were looking for. Speed. The, the kind of ability, he was a pretty high draft pick. He's the same sort of prototype of what worked out with J.P. Crawford. It just didn't happen. But I I don't think that the Astros were unable to get Diego Castillo from the Rays. I don't think that the, for some reason the Rays decided we're not going to deal with the Astros. And the Mariners gave up significantly less to get Castillo, who is younger and has more control. Like you're going to own him for longer at cheaper. You're going to control his contract for longer, cheaper, for less, right? Like, they didn't give up. Austin Shetton is not nearly the prospect that Toro is. And the the other guy, Chagua, you're putting him in there because, like, the Rays like him. But, yeah. So I, I looked at that deal, and I was like, huh, this is—I see why the Mariners did it. But there's a reason that he's available. He's not as good a pitcher right now as Graveman is, and the Rays have some serious reservations about him going forward.
1: But he has been a better pitcher longer than Graveman, which I do think is noteworthy. He's younger. He's under club control for three more years. Impressive numbers of late this season. Impressive numbers in the postseason. A filthy slider that has, I think, a 40% miss rate. So there's a lot of good things, and that's what makes me weirded out, is that this guy got traded, and exactly.
0: Yeah. By a team that knows, that knows what it's doing and does not give up its prospects lightly.
1: So, look at why that might have happened. And one of the things that comes up immediately is this piece from Ryan Divish's write-up about it. MLB sources said that the Rays had also grown frustrated with Castillo's conditioning and offseason work habits. They think... Some significant weight gain over the past few seasons, he's listed at 250 pounds, have made him less effective and less reliable, believing he has trouble bouncing back after outings because of this extra poundage.
0: The Mariners are willing to give Castillo the raise that the, the, the raise that the raise, <laughs> the raise that Tampa Bay is not willing to do, right? Because he's under club control, but now he's arbitration. He's going to be arbitration eligible.
1: Yeah, that's the problem. The Rays don't like to do it arbitration. Once arbitration starts and it gets out of control, they're like, yeah, we're done.
0: Because they're cheapos. They're, they're, they're not going to pay him. They're not going to pay him raises as a closer. So, okay, the Mariners are willing to. Do. I, I don't think that's a bad the, – the Mariners have more money than the Rays do. The Mariners are willing to spend more money. These are good things. That gives you the possibility of grabbing him. I don't like the fact that the Rays have decided that they're done the, the, they're no longer they're no longer gonna foot the bill for this dude. That makes me leery. The fact that Seattle then signed up for it when a lot of other teams could have been looking for it. Hey, I think it's a reasonable gamble, but I, I've got my eyes open. I don't think that this makes them a better team this year than than having Graveman. I don't think he's an upgrade on Graveman.
1: I think he might be. I don't necessarily know that he is, but I think that he might be. I'm cautiously optimistic. I just. I hated reading that passage, Danny. I really hated it.
2: You better shave.
1: well, because I just look at somebody like that, and I do think that you can have your weight affect you. I understand you don't need to be yoked yep. to pitch in baseball. I, I get that. I,
0: I I agree with what you're saying. Like that, that you look at it if it's having an impact on his performance, and the Rays have decided. I also think that that is one of the weirdest fixations that people will have. Like that's the easiest thing to knock a dude on.
1: Okay, so so let's let's put that to the side then, because that's I think a concern maybe long-term more so than it is now. Do you get concerned about a relief pitcher having been successful for a couple of years in a row and think that, all right, it might be over soon. I do. I don't, this is not necessarily a rational thought, but I feel like with relievers year to year, it is never a guarantee that the guy's going to be able to keep doing what he's doing. And if you want an example of it, I would just take a look at the Yankees' bullpen and the struggles that they've been having this year. That is a very, very expensive bullpen that they have. And yet, the issues are all of a sudden very clear. Relievers year to year are difficult to predict. And when you've been good for a couple of years in a row, maybe this is me thinking too much about the law of averages or diminishing returns or whatever. But there's a part of me that wonders if a drop-off maybe is coming.
0: There is fluctuation year to year. It's a danger about buying high on a bullpen member. It's it's honestly, it's a reason why if you go out and say, we're going to buy the best relief pitcher on the free agent market from last year, well, you might be buying based on what he did, not what he's going to do, right? Like, And that's, that's a challenge for every baseball front office. This doesn't feel like it applies here, right? This doesn't feel like it applies because Castillo's young enough that, look, Relief pitchers do fluctuate, but if you're going to say you've got him for the next three years, he might be bad next year or might be less effective, and he might then be better the following year. Like, there's that variance. He's young enough that I don't feel like you're getting a guy that's going to turn into a pumpkin. At the same time, though, I think you got to make sure that he doesn't turn into a pumpkin. And
1: look, they did it with... To a lesser extent, Justin Dunn, they did change his habits over the offseason, right? And it seems like there was a noticeable difference in terms of... He his found pitch velocity.
0: Pitching, yeah. Right. right, and that that's probably what I focus on more, is does it actually have an effect? Does the, the player's physique and the conditioning, are you observing a noticeable effect? Or is it about, hey, this guy's not good, it must be because he looks doughy? I think we have a lot of false correlation there. That's fair. And, and I th- I think it happens in all sports, but I think it happens most. I think it happens most in baseball because I'm not convinced you have to be in good shape to be a good uh, baseball player.
1: I don't think you have to necessarily either, but it sounds like whatever shape he was in before is no longer
0: the shape he is in now, if that makes sense. And maybe— Dudes get heavier as they get older, though. Drew? Man, I've seen a lot of pitchers— that have been big and gotten portly. Sid Fernandez pitched for a number of years and he just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. As long as you keep putting up the numbers, I don't really care. I, I agree, but I feel like the bigger you get, the more of a chance that there is
1: that those numbers stop. So I would say if I'm the Mariners right now, I'm looking at what his ideal weight maybe was at a certain point, and that's what I want him to get down to. I'm not asking them to all of a sudden you know, come back looking like he's ready to go on some sort of show like The Bachelor or anything like that. No, I, I'm, I'm just looking for them to figure out what it is because that paragraph concerned me. That there's some The Rays have already
0: me. done that, though, right? Like it's not like they just didn't talk to him about it. Like they've 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 communicated this to him for whatever reason. He's not getting back to that. Listen,
1: Florida has got some really good food. You know, lots of fast food options. <laughs> there's less less of those in the greater Seattle area. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, no, I'm just spitballing here. He's Danny O'Neill I'm Paul a lot. It's Danny Galat, Seven ESB ESPN Seattle. Up next on this radio program. I went to Seahawks training camp yesterday, and we have a lot of thoughts that are coming out of Seahawks training camp. What are our first impressions after a couple of practices? We'll talk about that next.
0: You're listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle.
2: Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and
0: Paul Gallant. What are we down to? 5 minutes. 5 hours 15 minutes till the trade deadline. Nothing has happened here today. I do Where feel My like trades at I do feel like it's been more frenetic. Like there has been it it's been higher pressure this year. I feel like the trade deadline has and and maybe it's because you're essentially getting two years worth of it here because we didn't have a full trade deadline last year. The season was so abbreviated, there were so many playoff spots. But I feel like we've had more big names already move, like Scherzer's moving, Rizzo, Schwarber. Like there's there's been some pretty big trades that have happened already, and I'm really interested to see. I fully expect the Mariners to add a starting pitcher. And and maybe maybe I'm holding out holding out Sort of the false hope of the the, the uh the, the apple of my eye, Herman Marquez, who there's no indication that he's moving. I still hold out hope for that. Kyle Gibson or Jose Berrios from, from the twins, like all of those I, I'm I'm gonna be bummed if the Mariners don't come away with a starting pitcher.
1: How did you read though the way that Jerry talked about it after the trade for Diego Castillo? Because he he basically said in as many words. We're not necessarily done, but we might be. I remembered reading the quote and I was just thinking to myself, wow, this is, this is master class and, 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 and just trying to keep the waters as
0: calm as one possibly can. There's a level of brinksmanship that's going on here, right? He's talking, when he, he's talking to the fans like he really is. He's trying to say it might not happen. But he's also posturing to make it clear to other teams, I'm not giving you more than I've offered. I'm not going to—because there's five guys that I'm pretty sure that he doesn't want to trade and that he might even be telling teams are untouchable. Kelnick, Rodriguez, Noelve Marte, George Kirby, Emerson, Hancock. Yep. And any of those teams, like the Twins with Barrios, they're saying, I, I want one and maybe two of those guys. And Jerry's like, no, we're not doing—so there's a level of brinksmanship. So I— is
1: that bring the shit there though?
0: Because like anyone that might be
1: traded now would be perhaps a sell as opposed to a buy? Because don't you, if you're still being aggressive, want people to know that you are still being aggressive, I guess, outwardly.
0: But they've already got your best offer, right? If you've already given it to them. And if you make it seem like, okay, we're really there's and that's what I mean. There's a little mm. stare down here. Of so there's like, are something you gonna, on the table, maybe, and he's just waiting to see if they exactly. Get no I'm better saying I'm not, okay. I'm not sweetening that offer. Like that's that's what that so makes sense. Who's been traded here out of starting pitchers that you're like, man, I was bummed because that hasn't happened yet, and that's probably what gets me most excited. Kyle Gibson hasn't moved. Mm-hmm. Kyle Gibson from the Texas Rangers who would help them. He he hasn't moved, so maybe the Mariners' offer that's out there on the table is the best one that the for the Rangers. So, Herman Marquez has not moved. Barrios has not moved like those guys. Barrios is a little bit different because he's got only one year left on his contract, and he's the the Twins thought they were going to be good. They're not good. So all of those all of those things we'll, we'll keep watching. I haven't had a starting pitcher move like when Scherzer traded. I was like, he doesn't make sense for the Mariners. They're not right. going. They're not going to give. Up. And also, Scherzer. If Scherzer got a choice between the Dodgers and the Mariners. Is he going to go like I? I really want to help this team win its tw- end its twenty year postseason drought. Or is he like I want to be on a team that I can help win a World Series?
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think of ways to spin job because I
0: if you don't know already, well you would be like this like, like look <laughs> if you if you come here. And leads to the playoffs. You'll never have to buy another drink in Seattle. Like we promise to, we'll build a monument to you if you're able to. <laughs> we'll build it before able to come you do anything.
1: Do we'll build it. We'll have a monument for you out of the outfield just as your first start. Because yeah, you're, you're not going to be able to convince them to go here over the Dodgers. Yeah. They're just too good. They're a wagon right now.
0: Desperation is not a becoming trait, but it's something I reek of when it comes to the trade deadline. Seattle Seahawks, second day of training camp. We're starting to see some of the storylines that have emerged. You were out there yesterday, Paul. Mm -hmm. So I thought that it'd be fun to run through kind of the reports that we're hearing, the discussions that we're hearing, and see how it matched up with what you saw. We'll start with Rashad Penny. Rashad Penny has been, through the first couple days, and some of that's because he was interviewed yesterday, it's been the big storyline. For the second time in his career, he's in the best shape of his career. What do you look like?
1: I felt very skeptical yesterday when we talked about Rashad Penny because Pete Carroll had said some pretty glowing things about him. I will say he had an explosive run busting to the right, and that play looked like he was perhaps 100%. I will also say, though, it's difficult to get a read for what a running back is doing in training camp, especially at this phase because it's touch football, but it's touch football where you still let the guy continue to run afterwards. There was a good moment for him. And this is weird because everyone, I think, got a little jumpy when it happened. But a player rolled underneath him, and it looked awkward, and he got right back up. And I would think that that's good for you as a player, big picture, confidence-wise, to have something like that take place and not get hurt so you're not freaking out that that could potentially happen, that you could blow your knee again at any moment. He looks, yeah, I would say like he is in shape. But how great is that shape? It's really difficult to tell when you're not running real 11-on-11 drills with full pads. All right.
0: Next guy, Akella Witherspoon. He's a player that the Mariner, or the Seahawks signed on. Essentially, uh, he fits the part. We'll give him a shot to come here and compete for a starting job. He could end up being your starter opposite, DJ Reed. How'd he look?
1: This might be a result of one number on his jersey because I noticed that Carlos Dunlap looked like the biggest human alive wearing number 8 as opposed to number 96 I think he was last year so Akella Witherspoon's wearing number 2 he looks the part he really looks the part he is long and long and there was a play downfield where he had a deflection I'm intrigued Um, I would say that it looks like if he were to be anywhere it would be stepping in for Shaquille Griffin and that maybe D.J. Reed would not be moving from his responsibilities of last year. That's my coy way of saying what I saw without saying what I saw, if that makes sense, because there are rules.
0: Next guy, Daryl Taylor. He's been the big—he looks explosive. Dunlap's talked about how good he is. He's going to get a shot at strong side linebacker. He's going to be essentially a rookie. He's another rookie added because he didn't play last year because of injury, and he's going to make a real difference on this defense. I didn't notice him yet. And again, it's
1: difficult at this phase, but I I think we're both on the same page. We've heard a lot of great things about Daryl Taylor, but until he's got that action and he's in that action, it's, it's a different story. He has yet to really face NFL competition. Don't you feel the same way that until you actually see him against other NFL players, full contact, full speed, we really don't know what to make of him?
0: I believe that's true. I also think that he plays the position in Seattle's defense that is the least likely to jump off the page at you. Mm. What he's asked to do is not rush the passer. It's asked a lot to do with the line of scrimmage. His job is to ragdoll the tight end. He's the strong side linebacker who needs to set the edge. It's not a position that lends itself to the kind of splash plays that you will talk about. And if that's what he's going to play, he's drafted as a pass rusher. And he's moved and he's playing. And it doesn't mean that he's not going to be a a valuable part of the defense. But if he's a pass rusher that's moving to strong side linebacker, that's not a great sign for how valuable he's ultimately going to be because strong side linebacker is the least valuable of the three linebacker positions in Seattle's defense. But what if you're really good at it? I mean, Bruce Irvin was really good at that spot. He was really good at it. He was really good at it. He also was someone that they, when he got to free agency, they were like, thanks. Hey, cash in somewhere else we'd love to we're, we're happy for you it's the least valuable of the, of, the, of the it's just not a position where you're talking about hey is he going to be the next star probably not if he's playing strong side linebacker it's danny Gallant. our training camp coverage is brought to you by pre home fitness we're going to have michael bumpus in with us for the next hour we'll talk to him about whether russell wilson's national reputation has taken a hit in the last 12 months get his impressions from training camp that's next